Good afternoon. So good to see you all. And it's really an honor to be here in the midst of this wonderful church. You got to know that uh, Orangewood is unique. I've been to so many churches in the world. God has given my wife and myself that privilege. And Orangewood is unique. Orangewood is uh, a church uh, which is mission-minded, with a very open and wide-open heart, ready to serve, ready to help, ready to support. Thank you. You have been alongside us for more than 18 years. That has been wonderful, very inspiring. Last uh, two months ago, I was in my room sitting down, uh, praying my daughter was very sick. And there's uh, Joe over the phone. Hey, Saul, how are you? Mm. Immediately I knew I could open my heart to him. Immediately I knew there was support. Other people calling me, uh, Greg, others, Chester, ready to welcome us, to take our children to the doctor, uh, to take her through an amazing operation. Thank God, everything went well. She's well. She's recovering. She would like to go faster in her recovery. Daddy doesn't let her. Uh, but she's very well, and she sends her love. Uh, I am going to try to preach because I really have gone into a very unusual habit. You see, when I started to communicate with the poor, I realized that using concepts and using the classic method of preaching in which you say point one, A, B, C, point two, A, B, C, wouldn't work. And they would be very boring. And it was really impossible to use that kind of concept, concepts with them. I had to find other ways. And I started to learn to preach with images, telling little stories, and basically trying to create a little movie. You see, and, and when I preach, it's like I try to tell a little movie. And, uh, and I use images. And these images are uh, little stories that I go putting together, trying to express some special message to them. That's the way in which by telling them that kind of stories and illustrating them, sometimes making them funny, so when, sometimes I even add noises to them, uh, makes them stay. They give me 45 minutes, sometimes one hour, and they are, that's good, you see? But it's not uh, easy then to come back with so very intelligent people like you and say, oh, I only have images, but that's what I'm going to do. Just bring images, uh, little stories that uh, want to express that. How extraordinary is that in Jesus we have found the compass of the whole universe. The compass that uh, shows us the path for eternal life. The compass that tell, takes us back to God. You see... In the cross is where Jesus uh, put together justice and mercy. 
But it was through his life, every path in his life where he was showing us that. The first scene of this movie, which would be titled Where Justice and Mercy Meet, is uh, uh, the story of Artemisa. This is a, a board member of Armonia who served with us for uh, almost uh, 19 years. And she died yesterday. Uh, you see, about, I don't know, three months, four months ago, I don't remember, I was in this uh, very poor village. Beautiful, though. Uh, full of very poor uh, peasants in a little shop. And people were coming and coming and coming uh, to greet Artemisa and greet Kata, her American uh, working partner who had worked together with her in the translation of the Bible into the Otomi language in the uh, northern lands of Hidalgo, the state of Hidalgo in Mexico, for more than 50 years. Uh, people were puzzled because she was wearing this uh, kind of, uh, how do you call it, uh, scarf, scarf. And, and because she was almost bald because of the chemotherapy. And, and they were pointing at it. Finally, she noticed that it was too much for them to see her like that, and she took it off. She looked beautiful. She looked so, so, uh, with so much dignity and strong. And uh, I couldn't understand a word. Everything was happening in their own language. And they mastered the language. So I just could see the, the, the feelings and the, the, the eyes full of tears and people embracing and crying. It was a goodbye. You see, they had come to give their home, the home that they used for ministry for almost 50 years, to the village as an offering to the school so that the school could have one more area to build the senior high. And it was very moving. But you could see so many people coming and, and, and be very worried. And, and some people arguing and showing a lot of emotion. For sure, I thought some of them think that, they, that, that somebody in the people in, in the village offended them and they have to leave. So after a while, Artemisa read from a little paper. And, uh, and I think she read it because she wanted to be precise. She wanted to be concise, but overall, she wanted to start crying. And she read it, and people listened to her. But they kept worried until Kata, Kata Voigtlander, she's an American woman who served alongside Artemisa, as I said, for about 50 years, and uh, stood up. And Kata is 88. You see, still working, still working, not wanting to retire by all means. And with a lot of dignity, with a lot of beauty, great smile, she spoke to them in the language. And they come down, they smile back, and then we went to the house. Of course, I was waiting, uh, a very nice house. I was waiting, I don't know why, in my mind I had this impression that I was going to see this beautiful missionary's house where they were going to handle over. For a reason, I thought that over the years people had gone to help them to have a better house. No, 
I was wrong. It was a very, very poor house, very basic. Just wooden planks together around a room which was maybe four times this platform and uh, where the air would go through it. And uh, no glass windows, nothing like that. It's just a loft where they have two mattresses and they slept there to protect themselves from the animals, from small rodents. So, wow. They gave away everything. And as they were giving away, I stood next to something I was really wanting. And Artemisa noticed in my eyes the desire, the lust for that thing. And she gave it to me. It's a little lamp. See, an oil lamp that worked next to her thousands and thousands of hours while she translated the Bible. Just want to keep it as a memento of such an extraordinary person, such an extraordinary woman. In whose life, in whose partnership with Kata, you could see meeting justice and mercy. People who were so special, but wanting to give up their lives for the benefit of other people's lives. Of course, uh, last Sunday, my wife and I were with them saying goodbye. She died yesterday, as I said, and this last Sunday, before coming here, we, we flew to where she was and spent the night in that city. So we went to see her. And she said, thank you. Give uh, my love to all the people in Orangewood, to my dear friends at the Harmony Board. She mentioned a lot of names. It was beautiful. And she said, I'm leaving very nice images for my family. And I said, how come? She said, last Christmas, I revealed a secret that you two know, but they didn't know to them. And I said, oh, what did you do? She said, after Christmas uh, uh, dinner, we, we all went to the garden, and I managed to put some mambo, you see, uh, at the, uh, as music, you see, in the loudspeakers. And, uh, and, and there, the mambo was playing there, and we were all making a circle. And they were looking at me all puzzled, thinking, are we going to pray at the rhythm of mambo? <laughs> you see? And she said, no. I started to say, one, two, three, mambo, and dance. And I dance with my family. And they were all saying, wow, look at this missionary. Uh, we thought you were holy. We thought you didn't know how to dance. No, Artemis, in fact, was very attractive when she was a young lady. And she, she was uh, thinking, considering seriously being a dancer. And she used to dance flamenco, mambo, and other rhythms. You see, when the Lord came to her heart in such powerful way that she decided to spend her life translating the Bible so others could get to know God in their own language. 
We all have the language of love. And I'm insisting and insisting and insisting. We can all learn to love, to speak in that language. We can all learn to love, communicate with others and their needs. In the next scene, it's a long, a wide angle I would use. You see, and if you have a little time, I don't have the time, sorry. Uh, you have to read from Matthew uh, 20, 17, do it at home, and to Matthew 21, 11. Okay? Read it all. I'm going to just take two scenes of these seven scenes, which are fabulous. But uh, read them all together. And if you can read them aloud, you're going to enjoy them so much because Jesus is in the way to the cross from Jericho to Jerusalem. And many things happen. But the first thing that you notice is the majestic king going from Jericho to Jerusalem. And you see him acting justly, loving mercy. And at the end, in the last scene, riding on a colt, on a little donkey, You see, walking humbly with his God for our salvation. You can see him in him, all these scenes we have been talking today, all about, in all this week. He is this amazing servant king. And please, see it all. But because of time constraints, I just have to go suddenly to very small scenes, okay? So I need to, how do you say, zoom in or zoom out? Okay, I need to zoom in and, and, and go to two passages, to two portions, which will show us amazing things about this servant king who acted justly, justly loved mercy, and was so humble. So, Matthew 20, 20. Okay, what is going to relate both scenes? Well, the question. In Spanish, it's easier because it's, in Spanish it comes out in, as you read the, the, the Bible, as exactly the same words in both cases. The question that is in verse 21. What is it what you want, he asked. Jesus asked a woman, what is, what, what is it that you want? And in verse uh, 32, Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? In Spanish, it's exactly the same question. What is it what you want to both uh, uh, people? And uh, let's, let's read it. Uh, then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Okay, please uh, put the the images in your mind. Okay, we need to create a scene. And this is a woman who has had access to Jesus. Don't tell people, but she was Mary's uh, cousin. Okay? And so she was in the family, and through that, I guess she was waiting for a special favor or something special. What is what you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine, not to say your cousins, uh, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. This woman somehow knows that uh, Jesus, being so popular, is going to have a kingdom. This is the king 
crowds are following him. And she, she sees an earthly kingdom. She's not seeing the, the kingdom of God. You see? She's seeing the, the, the regular earthly kingdom at hand right there. You see? She doesn't have, she has a vision, but not really too large. She has a vision, quite terrestrial, but a vision. Yeah? And she thinks, well, I mean, we're the family. See? I have access. I'm here in the small circle. We're close. Let's go for it. And uh, in, in Spanish, we have very few, uh, expre- uh, uh, I mean, a lot of expressions when people behave like that. You see? And some of them are quite nasty. Um, people who are trying to take advantage of their proximity to those who are in power and whoop, get in. Well, it's also here. What is it, what, what is it you want, he asked. Grant that. Verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. In English, it, it says Jesus said to them. In Spanish, the word that we use there for his answer implies that basically he is impatient. That he is almost rebuking them. You see, that he is not just nicely saying you don't know what you want. But that he is uh, feeling abused. And he said, you don't know what you want. See, let's see. Have you been in a situation when somebody crosses the line and is asking you something that feels like an abuse? Yeah. And um, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? The cup of suffering, the cup of rejection that Jesus was going to suffer, he has announced uh, that he is going to, to be uh, betrayed and, uh, and he's being, going to be given to the chief priests that he's going to be killed. And uh, we can't the answer. We can. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. That's the end of that first scene. Okay. They didn't get it. Jesus got angry. See? And, uh, well, and he said something like, uh, his father has the, the, the names. You see, he doesn't. But then, Matthew wants us to know further. Matthew was one of those uh, disciples who start getting indignant when they hear what the others did. And I'm sure that they were not saying, oh, we shouldn't aspire this kind of positions. We should not uh, agree to be important. No. I think they were mad because they wanted those positions. You see, themselves. They wanted that for them. And they, these guys were just going uh, before them. So, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Okay. 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Okay, in, in, uh, in cultural terms, they really understood what power and authority was for. And of course, that's what they wanted. They wanted to have the power and the authority to rule over the others, at least over the other 10, and then many others, and also because they wanted uh, to benefit themselves. You see, sadly, we live in a world where most people, mm, I don't dare to, to give percentages, 99, 99.9 .9 or more, you see, but a lot, a lot, a lot aspire, we aspire to power, not to serve, but to serve us. Why do you want the big spoon? To give to others? No, you want the big spoon, I'm sorry, to serve myself and serve my children and serve my mom and serve my auntie and serve my family. Come on. Yeah. The, oh, sorry. Where's the other spoon? Yeah. To serve the others. See? Yes. That's the classic view of power of authority in our world. But Jesus says, uh, not so with you. Not so with you. And that is uh, so amazing. That's why I congratulate a church like Orange Ridge. You, you have authority, you have power, you have resources. And it's extraordinary that for years and years and years, this uh, church has kept that commitment of serving the others with what they have. Joe just uh, prayed before you put the offerings that uh, you were blessed and now you could bless the others. You have been blessed to be a blessing. This is the, the leading nation on earth, the U.S. And uh, I hope, I pray that this nation, like you, will be using that power to serve the others in the name of God. At the same time, it says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Wow. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just like him. The dial of the compass has moved. Jesus has a different way of thinking in terms of justice and mercy. Jesus is not the kind of Santa Claus God we think he is most of the time. See, a sugar daddy that is just ready for us to go and pray and say, give me, give me, give me, give me. And he will give you, give you, give you. See? No. There are here criteria. Here, Jesus is showing discernment from his heart. Justice and mercy have to meet in a special way for him to say yes. Now, let's go to the other scene. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Okay? As I told you, Jesus is 
awfully popular. And all these crowds are going with him. Just imagine. Can you put this in your, uh, your movie now? Okay, the new scene. A lot of people surrounding him. He's at the center. He's at the front. Lots of dust uh, all around. Children, horses, and all these animals just following. It's amazing. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. Wow. It's a very different situation to the situation of the woman who had the proximity to Jesus. These people were outside the city. These people were outside of the regular possibilities of other people to come close to Jesus. These people were in trouble. Look, it says, And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now just close your eyes and imagine here uh, the multitudes going in front of these blind people and the dust of the things. And you just don't see him. You just hear that he's passing by. The crowd, of course, didn't say, okay. Let's take you and, and, and wait, 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 wait. Hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, they want to talk to you. No, it says here, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Shh, silence. Don't bother the master. They didn't, that. They didn't say that to the woman who went to kneel down in front of Jesus. She had manners. These guys didn't. You see? But they shouted all the louder. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. These guys didn't know how to behave in front, behave in front of God. Looks like it, isn't it? You see? Hmm. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped. If I could film this, I would film Jesus stopping in this great tension where he's just moving, passing away from them. And they are here desperate. And, and people are trying to, sh- uh, to shout them down while they are shouting to be heard and all these things. And Jesus stops. Can you imagine all the, 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 the multitude coming behind? Yeah. Suddenly. Yeah. What's going on? What happened? Jesus stopped and called them. You can read Mark. You can read uh, Luke to have a different flavor of the story. Uh, Mark focuses more on how he acted. Uh, He jumped. uh, One of the the blind men really jumped through his uh, garment and and tried to, to approach. And they brought him to Jesus. But here, uh, Matthew, who is a direct witness of this situation, is using his camera, you see, to focus on Jesus. He's, this is uh, zooming uh, in more, 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 you see. It's, it's, it's amazing because he listens to him asking again, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. 
It's the same question. What would we say if we hear that question today? What would we say if he would come and ask you? I don't know how I'm doing time-wise, sorry. But I, want, I need to tell you a little more story. Uh, years ago, maybe 15 years ago, before the wonderful Christmas uh, chicken and bread campaign started in Armenia, before that, before with these stories I made them cry or made you cry and then they helped us, you helped us, uh, this is what happened. I was, uh, this was almost uh, Christmas Eve, and I told my wife that I had this burden of needing to go and preach and pray with people during Christmas Eve. And, and my wife said, we better don't do it. It's very dangerous. Uh, we can even get killed. People drink a lot during that night. It's not safe. And nobody's going to attend. And I said, I don't know why, but I feel the burden. And well, she said, okay, husband, I'll follow you. And, uh, and I said, can we buy chicken for them? You know, we can bring them roasted chicken in these plastic containers and some bread and give it to them. And, and she said, we don't have money. And I said, how many you want? She says, like 60. And she says, she checked the money. She says, 17. Okay. So we bought 17 roasted chicken and, and baguettes, these longish kind of breads. And we were there, and she brought some more crackers and put them there with beautiful ribbons, just looking like a Christmas little seed. And I had a very elegant service prepared. I had one stool, put it there, sat down, opened my Bible, and I decided that this was going to be the order of the service. I was going to first sing a song, simple Christmas song, because they didn't know anything about Christmas songs. Read part of the Bible where it speaks of Christmas, you see, of the birth of Christ, and then pray. And then do it again, and do it again, maybe four or five times, and that's what, that was it, Okay. I didn't have any, anybody to help but Pilar, and Pilar was controlling the children. Well, that was for, uh, that was why she was there for, we thought. We started with nobody. Sometime later, some people showed. Then I, we sang, I read, uh, we prayed. When I opened the eyes, oh, the crowd's growing. But I had chicken, good. So... <laughs> I kept, kept uh, doing it, and one of those, I realized that, uh-oh, this is a big crowd. Now, very poor people are arriving, very, very poor people, the poorest. People who live depend on collecting cardboard and, uh, and paper, and they go to the recyclers, sell it, get a few coins, and with that, they eat. But on Christmas days... It's, everything is very expensive, so difficult to get a Christmas, a decent Christmas night dinner with little coins. So I was worried, but then I, I remember, no problem. God is going to make a miracle because that day in the morning, Bill Goodman, do you remember the missionary? He's an extraordinary friend. He, he called me and said, Saul, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, chicken, Bill, chicken. <laughs> Chicken and bread. And I explained my plan to him. He says, you got it. How many? 60. So what I, had, I thought is, well, they are going to show up. Uh, Bill is going to show up with 60 or more 
you see, and bread, and we're in 17, 77 families uh, were covered. Kept praying, kept doing all this, and we had like 200 families by then. Mm. Uh, and I thought, well, God, I think you're going to make a miracle, and Bill is going to show up with 200 <laughs> chicken. Yeah. After all, American missionary, he should have more money than me. <laughs> I knew very little. I knew very little, you see. <laughs> and uh, no, uh, Bill shows up, see, all pale, and Pilar comes to me and says, he only, he got, I think, 19 or 12? Oh, yeah, she says 12. 12, okay. You see, th there were no chicken in the store. <laughs> they were sold out. And did he get some bread? Yeah. Some bread, yeah. But that was it. So, so we put it there and we pray. I, I don't know if the Lord asked me, what is what you want? But I made him ask me. Lord, feed them. Feed them. Can you offer them a dinner? That was it. I, I stopped pray, praying and I said, uh, now I'm going to bless the food. And you know we're too many. We're going to, to give to the, those who you think you need the most. Come to the front first. And until they are, they're done. Okay? Okay. So we bless the food, start giving them, giving them, giving them. All of them got chicken. Some of them got more than one. Uh, embraces and everything. And there was chicken there. Honestly. There was chicken there. Now we live in a world which doesn't let room for miracles. But my daughter's operation was a miracle. Our lives are miracles. And things, miracles, are as real as reality. You see? And chicken and chicken, everyone got chicken. And there was chicken there and bread. And I said to my wife, uh, what do you think? So we make, made a plan. And we went to visit a lot of families with a van full of chicken and giving to the families, knocking on their doors, Merry Christmas, and here's your bread, here's your chicken, and uh, Jesus loves you, and carry on. Three o'clock in the morning, we went back. We stopped by an area in the city where there are a lot of street children. We gave them chicken. We went back home. Every one of my dogs got one chicken. You see, I ate chicken like crazy. My wife ate, Chris, ate, ate, ate chicken. Everybody ate chicken. And we went to bed. Next day, maybe at 1 in the afternoon, I wake up. And I said to her, you know, I had this word, this dream. And she said, the reproduction of chicken. And she said, how do you know? See the fridge. <laughs> Let me finish. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answer. We want our sight. And again, the dials moved. And justice and mercy met again. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. 
immediately they receive their sight. If I was the movie director, I would have a last scene. They followed him. And they followed him, and I would try to be sure that people would see that there are ways of following him. One is just the multitude goes and we go behind. And the other, and I think Matthew wanted us to think in that, they followed him as disciples. There were people who would stay in the way, bringing justice, acting in justice, loving mercy, so others would get to know the love of God. May he bless us all. Thank you.